Hey, welcome to the DitchMedics.com podcast. I'm Derek. I'll be your host. This is episode five, and today's topic is myths of pre-hospital pain management. Welcome to another Ditch Medics podcast. We're bringing advanced care to the EMS trenches. Here, we believe in the critical care mindset in a 911 world. Expanding your knowledge in three, two, one. Hey, welcome again. Today's topic is pain management and specifically some common myths that we encounter in pre-hospital pain management uh, and some treatment strategies and some benefits of those strategies. And before we get started today, I want to ask you to go over to iTunes. Uh, and, and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast and, and, and leave us a, a rating and a review. Uh, number one, we want to know what you think of the show, most importantly. And also, every rating, every review we get, every subscription we get, uh, helps us get noticed better throughout the iTunes system. As you well know, in any new project, just half the battle is getting your project noticed. And that's what we're up against here, and we need your help with that. So please just take a minute, uh, go over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, uh, give us a rating, and, and help us get the word out there. Also, if you haven't done so already, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we interact very frequently through those uh, social mediums. Uh, that's where we'll let you know of, uh, of anything going on through the site, let you know of any new posts. Also, make sure you subscribe to our email subscription list. Big thing with that is, is you're the first one notified of any new posts. You're the first one notified of any new promotions, any, any giveaways that we might be having through the site. And it's just a great way to interact with you also. So thanks for your loyalty. Thanks for checking us out. Uh, we appreciate it. Give us some feedback. We like to hear what you think. All right, pain management. This, this is what we do. Uh, as medical providers, as, as emergency medical providers, we frequently encounter patients with pain complaints, whether that be medical or, or traumatic in cause. Uh, and this is what we do as, as, as EMS providers. We, we, we manage people and their discomfort, their pain, their symptoms. Um, and at the far end of that spectrum, we keep people alive. But overwhelmingly, uh, the day-to-day -day task of what we do as EMS providers is manage people and their discomfort. That's why they're calling an ambulance. That's where they're summoning EMS is because they have something wrong, uh, and usually that involves pain. Now, that's what we're supposed to do anyway. But, but let me tell you what we do, and that's we often overlook pain. We often undervalue pain. Uh, we often ignore pain altogether uh, as, as paramedics. Uh, we're given uh, multiple tools, both pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic, to deal with pain. But oftentimes, because of, of many reasons, and we'll talk about those reasons, but oftentimes we don't properly assess, value, quantify, qualify, treat pain. Uh, we don't do those things well. And I think that's a failure of our training. We focus so much on the high acuity, low volume stuff on being ready for that worst case scenario that we don't focus enough on that low acuity, high volume stuff, the stuff that we deal with every day. And, and that's managing pain and managing distress and managing discomfort. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some myths and pain management, uh, some, uh, you know, things that have built up over the years that, that we believe as pre-hospital providers to be the truth, or at least we've adopted them kind of as dogma. And it may not be the case. It's not the case. The stuff that we're going to talk about today these are not truths. 
Uh, is there is there anything worse than pain? I mean, true pain. Is there anything worse than being in discomfort and, and pain? We've all been there. There's an emotional response to pain. There's a physical response to pain. It's your body's response to any noxious, you know, stimulant. It, it it's terrible, and our patients oftentimes are faced with varying degrees of, of of this physical and emotional discomfort. And it's our responsibility as providers to to attempt to address that pain and to attempt to mitigate that pain. And there's undeniable benefit in, in treating our patients' pain, not only just from the humane aspect of it and, and relieving uh, their discomfort, but from a, a physiological aspect. Our patients do better uh, in the short, medium, and long terms because of proper pain management. And I know in hospital environments, you know, they're very focused on pain management, not only just for the patient benefits, but for for the benefit of the post-care surveys that their patients receive. Uh, that's one of the things that the, you know, Centers for Medicare, uh, Medicaid, also private insurance, you know, they look at is how well did a hospital manage a patient's discomfort? And that affects their, their recovery and their compensation. But for us right now, what we're looking at is patient outcomes and our patients do better um, when we manage them. Uh, from a from a physiological standpoint, so why treat pain? I mean, what's 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 the what's the quantified benefit of it? First of all, there's a a pretty profound sympathetic response, neuroendocrine response to severe pain, and many of our patients, this isn't beneficial. Uh, an overwhelming sympathetic sympathetic response is actually going to worsen their condition. Uh, so by by managing pain. We reduce that that neuroendocrine sympathetic nervous system response, and we promote better outcomes. Proper pain management uh, carries with it a, a wide myriad of, of of benefits in our patients' health. Reduce incident uh, of cardiac dysrhythmias. Reduce incident of pulmonary embolism, uh, DVTs. Uh, reduce Im- incidences of of, of post care problems such as PTSD. Pain management carries with it a wide range of benefits to to our patient care and and promotes better outcomes. And so that's why we should be doing it. Number one, it's humane. We should care about alleviating their pain. Number two, our patients do better. So you've heard me already say that I, I don't think we manage pain well. And I think that's for several reasons. I think, first of all, it's a failure in our training. I think we talk about pain. We talk about the medical and traumatic causes of pain. Uh, but we don't specifically hone in on how pain affects the body, both from an emotional and physical standpoint. Uh, so it's a failure of training, uh, initial training and continuing training. It's a failure for us as providers to assess pain. Uh, we're oftentimes focusing in on our protocols and what we need to do to treat the patient, their overall condition. We're not focusing on the fact that they're in distress, they're in discomfort. And that we need to alleviate that pain as well as, as continue our, our global assessment for their care. And I think one of the huge things that we encounter also is a, is a sense of uh, compassion fatigue, is a sense of, of that jaded provider, if you will. And I, and I know I speak from my own personal experience that we encounter such a wide range of, of patients in a pre-hospital environment, those that, that are truly, truly in distress and, and truly uh, feeling a significant amount of pain, those patients are the ones that need rapid analgesia, that need us to rapidly assess and treat their pain. And then the flip side of the coin, we encounter the patients that 
that truly are not in significant pain, but are looking for whatever they're looking for. Attention, you know, the drug seekers, um, they've got psychological behavioral problems, whatever the case may be, but they're not in significant clinical distress and pain, uh, but they're, they're seeking something from us. Uh, so unfortunately, we're put in that position, much like doctors, much like nurses, much like the rest of the medical community, we're, we're, we're dealing with real pain and we're dealing with not so real pain. So it's hard for a provider sometimes to differentiate. And when you overwhelmingly get weighed down by those lower acuity patients that aren't in true clinical distress, it makes it harder sometimes to truly recognize and assess real pain. All right, let's get right into the myths of pre-hospital pain management. And these are just some widely held common myths that we as a industry, uh, as a medical community have, have for some reason adopted. Um, that we, we've, through years of, of poor education, poor training, that we've, we've come to believe these to be truisms, and they're not. And the first is that we currently treat pain well, uh, that our strategies, our training, our education, our, our approach to pre-hospital pain management is effective. I know so many providers that, that hold true to that, that this is the way I've done it for years, that it's worked for years. I'm not going to change. And there's nothing that you can tell me that is going to change my mindset in regards to how I manage pain because I know it works. And that is, that is the... EMS blinders uh, firmly in place. What industry is this more apparent in uh, of this? This is the way I've done it for years. This is the way I will continue to do it than EMS. I think we can all think of that provider that has uttered that. Don't come to me with your new science. Don't come to me with your, with your nonsense. I'm a common sense medic. This is the way I do it. If that's you, Mr. or Mrs. Common Sense Medic, if you're that provider that believes that there's nothing else to learn because you've learned everything there is under the sun, I, I'm here to tell you, fortunately, your day is about over. We as an industry, we're, we're stepping outside of that. You don't need academic knowledge. We're stepping outside of that. This is the way we've always done it, and we're adopting empirical evidence. We're adopting evidence-based practice. Uh, these are keywords. These are these are going to be ways that we do business from now on because the way we currently manage pain is ineffective. Uh, we don't recognize pain. We don't treat it effectively. So if you think you do, uh, always ask yourself, what can I do better? Because I, I assure you there is something that you can do better. There, there's daily stuff that I find that I can do better. So look at, at new trends in pain management. Look at your protocols. Talk to your medical directors. Talk to your doctors. Understand what they know about pain management and adapt it into your own practice. Another common myth in pre-hospital pain management is that pain affects people the same, regardless of variable. Uh, so people believe that it doesn't matter what age you are, what gender you are, what culture you come from, what level of health you exhibit, what socioeconomic background you currently reside in, People believe that it doesn't matter what you look like, where you're from, and what you do, the pain affects you the same. The reality is, based off those variables, physical, emotional, age, social, genetic, all these variables contribute to how we personally identify and, and, and relate and deal with pain. Uh, so your patients are all different. Don't look at a 90-year-old grandpa who broke his hip the same as a six-year-old who, who fell off the playground equipment and busted his arm. 
uh, they're going to experience pain differently. And you need to assess that individual patient based off of their specific presentation. And that's how we should assess pain off of the wide variables of patient that present to us. Kind of tying into that myth is, is my next myth, and that's that how we treat pain is, is the same regardless that that the old mindset i mean you go go to that old school provider uh and ask them you know what's the appropriate pain management and oftentimes you'll be told a certain milligram of morphine or or a certain milligram of a specific pain medication you know that three milligrams of morphine is is effective for for everybody and that's what i start with i start with three milligrams of morphine that's once again, tying into that old school mentality of this is how we used to do business. We had these blanket protocols that would say, all right, do this with your patients, regardless of any variable. And that's a myth. That's, that's not how we, we should approach patient management uh, with these blanket protocols that are the same for people across a wide spectrum of presentation and backgrounds. When reality is three milligrams of morphine is not effective for treating some people's pain and it's overly effective or it's too much for other people's pain. So once again, we should base things off of that person's physical and emotional variables and treat their specific pain. Another common myth uh, in pre-hospital pain management, and this is more of a fallacy of, of, of our protocol system. Uh, but the myth that the statement, I'm not going to give them pain medicine because I don't want to bottom out their blood pressure or I don't want to drop their respiratory rate. And certainly I'm not dismissing these considerations. If a patient, for instance, is hypotensive and hypoperfuse, the last thing in the world I want to do is give them a medication that's going to worsen that hypoperfusion. Uh, but I also have to consider, do I have other options? to rapidly address that hypoperfusion and do I have contingency options so I can consider pain management and yet respond to any any side effects any symptoms from that pain management uh, because pain management is that critical especially in trauma patients and oftentimes this is the patient that we're talking about the multi-system trauma patient that's in overall clinical distress they're hypoperfused they have major injury but one thing we have to realize is that managing this patient's pain is, is in the long-term care spectrum, in, in the overall survivability spectrum, very high in, in our considerations and our priorities. We need to manage these people's pain more effectively. One thing we're seeing in, in pre-hospital trauma management is that ignorance of pain management is causing our patients to have worse outcomes. Another great example of, of, of a patient population that we avoid pain management in because we think we have more important things to do is airway management. Uh, specifically, you know, conscious sedations for intubations or, or RSI procedures. Uh, I see so many pre-hospital as well as hospital-based airway clinicians totally ignore uh, pain management for these patients. I have a challenge for you. Go home, go to work, uh, find yourself an ET tube and, and throw that down your throat and see how uncomfortable of a process that is. Uh, it's an incredibly uncomfortable process. And just because somebody has altered mental status, just because somebody is, is exhibiting sub, some level of mentation changes, if you think they don't sense pain when you stick that laryngoscope in their mouth and when you start to pass that tube uh, through their throat and, and through their cords, 
you're wrong. It's an incredibly painful response. Just look at the physiological response of, of laryngoscopy and intubation. Just look at their pulse shoot up. Look at their blood pressure shoot up. And why are they doing these things? They're doing these things because it's an extremely painful procedure to do. So prioritizing things over pain management. Certainly, we have to consider our ABCs. I'm not even remotely suggesting that pain, pain management takes precedence over ABCs. But in managing severely distressed and unstable patients, properly managing that pain will promote better outcomes. Uh, overwhelmingly, the statistics support that in, in truly injured and ill patients, they do better when we early and continuously manage their discomfort and pain. And the last myth, uh, that I'm going to address uh, today is the concept that administering analgesia will mask somebody's pain, will, will mask their assessment, will change their level of consciousness, will affect, affect a, a neurological assessment down the road. That's one that I still hear to this day, and it amazes me that I hear this. I can't give you pain medicine because I don't want to, to mask your pain so it affects the doctor's assessment once we get you to the hospital. That is a dogma. That is a, a strategy that has been handed down from generation to generation of, of pre-hospital provider, and unfortunately, it still exists today. When in reality, our physicians have the 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 assessment and clinical tools at their disposal to properly, subjectively, and objectively assess our patients in the absence of pain and in true analgesia. So they don't need your help. I'm sure they thank you for your consideration, but they don't need your help. They want you to properly treat your patient and, and to, to manage their pain. And if you truly live in a system where you encounter a doctor or doctors that don't want you to manage a patient's pain, that want you to overlook it until they can get their assessment, until they can get their hands on them, I'm sorry. A good clinician, a good physician is not concerned about any masking effect that you might initiate on a patient because you're truly managing their pain, their distress, and their discomfort. They understand that the overwhelming priority in that patient is managing that distress. And that is a secondary consideration is any masking effect that any, any, any pharmacology is going to give that patient. So I'm sorry if you have to deal with that, but the reality is our priority is mitigating their pain. All right, so, so those are some common myths that we encounter in a pre-hospital environment for pain management. Let's talk about how we as individual clinicians and providers can be better at managing pain. First and foremost, disclaimer, nothing I say, nothing we discuss today, nothing stated in this podcast supersedes any of your protocols, uh, any of your, your system-specific you know, guidelines. Uh, I'm talking about kind of best practice, modern pre-hospital management of pain. And, and certainly your medical director sets the tone for your system, and that supersedes anything that I talk about today. Uh, but even if, if your protocols and, and your, and your pain, pain management strategies are different than what we talk about today, uh, this is still a good discussion for you. This is a still a good discussion to understand what's going on out in the, in the wider world of EMS and pain management. All right, first and foremost, you want to be a better provider and a better clinician at dealing with pain. Assessment, assessment, assessment. Uh, this all comes down to like everything else we do in medicine in proper assessment of your patient. 
understanding that this patient is an individual, that this patient and their presentation to you is different than every other patient that you had before. So throw out that concept that I, I, know, I know what your pain is better than you do and truly assess and treat your patient based off of subjective and objective findings. Use things such as the age-old age OPQRST, Aspen system, uh, the, the acronyms that, that give us the, the feedback of, you know, when it started, how severe is it, you know, what the ratings of the pain are, um, what they describe it to be. Uh, so much of that, though, is subjective. So much of that is the patient's determination. And we have to respect that. And we have to take that in consideration but also use that acronym and use those subjective findings to coincide with your objective findings, your, your, your clinical pain assessments. Look for things such as physiological changes in a patient. Uh, do we see skin condition changes, for instance, flushing? Uh, do we see diaphoreses? Uh, do we see tachycardia and tachypnea and hyperpnea? Do you see hypertension? And do you see a general sense of, of, of discomfort and restlessness in this patient? Uh, are they fidgeting around? Are they having trouble finding a, in a comfortable position? Do they have that presentation to you like somebody that is truly in distress? And early on in our assessment, we certainly want to, to quantify their pain uh, kind of in that OPQRST spectrum, but we want them to, to, to let us know how severe is it. And if they can understand that, that zero to 10 scale, uh, we certainly can use the, the pain rating scale. Uh, if they're uh, of an age where they don't cognitively comprehend that, or if they're of a mental state that they don't comprehend that, then we need to go to an alternative method, you know, such as the faces scale with the different graphical representation of a human face and different levels of distress. Uh, so utilize those tools. But early on, we want to quantify that pain because that's going to give us a benchmark as we treat that pain to see how effectively we're doing so in that patient's mind, certainly in combination with changes in those physiological parameters as well. So it all comes down to assessment. And that's the general advice I have to you uh, as a pre-hospital provider. Take pain seriously. Do your proper assessment. Use those subjective and objective findings to come up with the treatment plan. And trust me, I understand as well as you do, overwhelmingly, there's, there's a lot of patients out there that are not in clinical distress in regards to pain uh, that are presenting to us with, you know, whether it be malingering or, or psychological, psychiatric issues, substance abuse issues, that, that, that for some reason or another, they're trying to portray a high degree of distress and pain, but they're not actually there. I understand it. Uh, but you're going to be better positioned to document that and to verbally express that to that next level of care by doing a proper assessment of this patient and coming to that conclusion objectively. Okay, what are some pain management strategies at our disposal? And the first thing I want to talk about is the non-pharmacological interventions that we have at our disposal. The, the, the age-old, for instance, rice, if you will, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Uh, so, yeah, positioning of our patient. If it's trauma, trying to reduce fractures and, and lengthen fractures and get them back into an anatomically uh, normal position. Trying to immobilize injuries such as fractured extremities through splinting and immobilization techniques. Utilizing things such as, as cold packs and ice packs uh, to, 
to minimize pain and certainly minimize the physiological response to pain. Okay, so certainly always consider those, those non-pharmacologic interventions. Okay, let's talk about our pharmacological interventions for pain. Aggressive pharmacological management of true pain, of true distress, is, is something that we have to do better. We need to rapidly assess, rapidly identify, rapidly quantify, qualify, and treat this pain. Uh, because our patients will benefit from that strategy. So we, we have to get away from the stigma of being afraid of these narcotics, both afraid of all the administrative hurdles that we have to jump through, and also afraid uh, of, of these, these mythical side effects that they have. I mean, yes, narcotic analgesics oftentimes carry with them side effects, uh, but we have to understand that we can respond to those side effects, that we have medications, we have interventions to respond to any untowered side effects. Uh, we have to respect the pharmacology. We have to respect the pharmacokinetics and dynamics of these medicines. But we, we also have to stop being so afraid of them. Okay, let's, let's discuss a few specific agents. Um, fentanyl, uh, one, of, one of my favorite pre-hospital uh, analgesic medications. Um, it's a synthetic opioid analgesic it's it's incredibly potent uh it's it's a hundred times more potent than morphine it's incredibly fast acting peak effect for morphine somewhere in the 15 to 20 minute range peak effect for fentanyl is in the three to five minute range uh it works quickly it works effectively we can give it multiple routes we can get iv im we can also give it intranasal uh, we can give it transmucosal. We can give it transdermal through patches. Um, it, it, it's, I don't mean to sound too dramatic here for you, but it, it's a wonder drug in regards to pain management. And its side effect profile is, uh, is a lot better. I think the number one side effect that we have to consider with fentanyl is the chest wall rigidity. Uh, high doses, fast push fentanyl will cause chest wall rigidity that affects a patient's ability to ventilate. In true, uh, really bad cases of this, the only intervention that's going to have a really positive effect is administration of, of paralytics and then positive pressure ventilation. But the great thing about fentanyl is, is the rapid onset and also short-acting duration of the medication. Good and bad. It's good because we can more closely control the effects of morphine because it's short-acting. Act, short so, for instance, if we have a negative side effect, such as the chest wall rigidity, um, the short-acting duration of the medication is going to benefit us in that case. Another huge benefit of using fentanyl uh, is, is it has a way better hemodynamic profile than, than for instance, morphine does. Uh, with fentanyl, I have less hypotensive response. I have less uh, respiratory depression. Uh, I have less CNS depression. The, the profile in general is better. So certainly for a patient with that poly-multi-system trauma considerations, utilizing fentanyl in, in, in these patients is a lot safer of a medication. I've used fentanyl almost exclusively over the past year, and I can tell you I haven't had a whole lot of untowered responses, uh, you know, precipitous drops in blood pressure, hypersensitivity, any of those things that we oftentimes uh, can see with morphine. I don't have that with fentanyl. I've really had good outcomes. Uh, so I'm a big believer in fentanyl. 
I think it's a way better drug for us. We can give it intranasally to pediatric patients, not having to do the IV or IM injection route. Uh, so really, it, it is a superior drug in comparison to morphine. The last pharmacological intervention I'm going to talk about is ketamine. Um, ketamine is one of those drugs that it seems like every week goes by, becomes more and more popular, more and more appropriate, more and more applicable to the pre-hospital environment. Uh, we currently use it in many systems around the country as a treatment choice for behavioral emergencies, things, you know, some people call excited delirium. It's, it's risen in popularity over the past couple of years in those situations. But what we've seen coming off of, you know, the past 13, 14 years of combat and its use in a military environment it can be a very effective pre-hospital pain management agent. Um, and ketamine is one of those interesting drugs that really is dose dependent. The effect on your patient is going to be very largely dependent upon the dose range that you administer the drug at. Uh, we can administer it to achieve sedation. We can administer it to achieve full you know, anesthesia. We can administer it to achieve analgesia. But primarily how it works in the in the pain management analgesia world is a disassociative effect basically it, it kind of detaches that patient from the the pain from that that part of the brain it separates that 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 peripheral pain system from the central pain system and it just it the pain's still there at a neurological level but the patient just doesn't experience it because of that dissociative effect very fast acting, onset as quickly as one minute, and very few contraindications. That's that's one of the huge benefits of ketamine. Is not only its effectiveness and it's 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 it's, it's complete you know diversity of situations that we can use it in, but it, it's it has a very good side effect profile. We have actually no hypotensive response. In fact, we have a little bit of a hypertensive response. We have an increase in blood pressure. Uh, so certainly for trauma patients and hypoperfused patients, it actually gives us a little perfusion bump. There was some concern with initial use on increasing intracranial pressure, intraocular pressure. The latest studies on that, I can just tell you, it hasn't borne that out. I mean, the increase in ICP and intraocular pressure is so much less than initially we were concerned with that it's really not even a consideration. Uh, it used to be, for instance, with my guidelines, it used to be uh, contraindicated in a patient that I suspected of increased intracranial pressure, uh, whereas now, with the latest research, our guidelines have been updated and we actually can use it in those patients with, with neurological injury and suspected increased ICP. So a lot safer, a lot less side effects, very fast. And then certainly with training, you can, you can use this drug for, for multiple purposes, even outside of analgesia. So I love ketamine. I tell you what, uh, both from an airway management, sedation, and pain management uh, strategy standpoint, I think ketamine is a wonder drug. Ketamine, like any other drug, has side effects. It has risks. I have to respect that. But it's one of those drugs that should be in your med box. Okay, that, that's really all I have time for today. Uh, I went longer than I intended going. Um, that's how in-depth this discussion is. Uh, in review, assessment, assessment, assessment. Respect your patient's description of their pain. Listen to their description of their pain. 
assess their pain, both subjectively and objectively. Utilize those quantification tools at your disposal. Um, utilize those, those quality tools at your disposal. Utilize the physiological presentation of pain. Things like we discussed, increase in pulse, increase in blood pressure, increase in respiratory rate, skin condition changes, the general look of distress on your patient. These things will often clue you in to the true severity of pain outside of any, any subjective pain rating. Don't allow yourself to become victim to those common pre-hospital myths of pain management. I assure you, and I say this to myself, and I don't just, I'm not pointing fingers at the world. I, I, take, I take ownership in this too. I have not effectively managed pain over the course of my career. I have ignored pain when I shouldn't have ignored pain. I've allowed previous patients to affect a judgment call on a current patient. I, I, I've not done well. And I take my lessons from this discussion. You know, I strive to be a better clinician in pain management myself. So take pain for real. Don't be that, that, that jaded paramedic who, who, who believes that they've seen it all, that they've done it all, that you can't get one by me because I've done it. I assure you, if you have that attitude, you're not properly managing pain. Utilize pharmacolo pharmacological interventions safely but effectively, aggressively, in accordance with your protocols, use pain medications when and where you can. Attempt to get that pain as close to zero in your patient. And remember, you're doing this not just because you're a humane provider and you want to alleviate discomfort and distress, but you're primarily doing this because this is going to promote good outcomes. This is going to promote better outcomes in patients that, you know, are, are truly sick and injured. So, that's why we're doing it. We're not just doing it for, for the, the feel-good aspect of, of I want to make my patients feel better. I'm doing this because my patients are going to have better morbidity and mortality statistics based off of proper pain management. That's why we're doing it. All right. Thanks for joining us again today. Reminder, please sign up for our email subscriber list. Uh, please give us a rating on iTunes. You don't understand how much that helps when you go on iTunes and give us a good rating, even give us a review that helps bump up our podcast and, and more people see it. So thanks for joining us again. My name's Derek and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to another Ditch Medics podcast. Leave us some feedback or a rating. Contact us by email or on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget to visit us at ditchmedics.com.